We are beginning a new series for the next three weeks uh, this morning, and I'm excited to share uh, what I feel like God has kind of led me into. And to do that, uh, we are going to go to Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, if you uh, pay attention, you will find that there has been a theme for the morning. Uh, you know, it flows directly into the message that, that is going to be shared this morning. Uh, but I want to talk about the church, the church. And in Matthew chapter 16, uh, in verse 13, uh, if you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, if you've been in church for quite some time, uh, you would be f- very familiar with this, this story. Uh, Jesus is with his 12 disciples, and he is walking along, and he begins a conversation with them. Uh, and it says in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Of course, that phrase, Son of Man, is uh, in regards to himself. That was a phrase that was commonly used to describe Jesus. And so he's basically saying, who do people say that I am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, it's interesting because I know John, when I look at that verse, I think John the Baptist probably makes sense, Elijah makes sense, but Jeremiah, where's the connection there? Uh, or one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Um, it's important, not only for Jesus in this moment to know what other people say, but he, it's more important because he's redirecting, narrowing the conversation now to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Because how many of you know it would not be okay to the mission and purpose of Jesus on the earth for his closest followers to conclude that he's just another prophet. So Jesus knows in this moment, I kind of, this is kind of like a a pop quiz. I know in this moment, I kind of need to know where you stand with who I am. I need to know what you believe about me because we cannot continue to move further on. We cannot continue to advance the gospel if you think that I'm just another prophet, just like all the Old Testament prophets. I need to know if there's someone that believes I'm more than just a prophet. So he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter chimes in. Simon Peter, just from the reputation of the, of the New Testament and the story, he was probably always the annoying guy that raised his hand and wanted to answer the question, even if it was wrong. How many times do we not see in Scripture where he answers a question, Jesus was like, close. That was a joke. (laughs) Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. How many of you know that's a good answer? And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. One of the things you need to realize about that phrase, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, that was a common phrase that was used in conversation when you would say something that people knew in your human limitations and weaknesses, you didn't think about that. So when, he, when Jesus said, flesh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, he was what he was saying to Peter to kind of let Peter know where he stands um, 
in your intellectual capacity as a human being, this is not a conclusion you could come to. God had to reveal that to you. No, no human being can come to this conclusion. It has to be the sovereign work of God for you to get to this point. And so that's what he's saying to Peter. So flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is, a, this is the first download of the New Testament. And he goes on to say, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What a powerful scripture. Now, uh, just this is kind of going off of the notes, but this is something that, that I think uh, causes some division and issues within the church. Um, that scripture Jesus is making a distinction, because how many of you know that what Peter's name means? Peter, Peter means rock. It actually means little pebble. Tiny pebble. And so when he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, that there's actually a distinction in the Greek. Um, Peter is pe uh, Petros, and rock is Petra. That's a monumental, considerably bigger rock. So he's saying, you're a pebble, but you're not where the foundation of the church is going to be built. Because the foundation of the church cannot be built on the shoulders of a man. And where churches steer and fall off and stray is where the foundation of Jesus gets uh, gets removed, and then we put it on the shoulders of man to say, I got it, we, we, right. we can do this. Right. It's, it's important that we understand that the foundation that the church was sovereignly built on, which is Jesus, has to remain the foundation moving forward. There is no future for the church if that gets uprooted and we put it on the shoulders of man. And it goes on to say, upon this rock, that is, not Peter, but the revelation that God gave Peter, that Jesus is the Christ. That is the revelation that Jesus will build his church on. Notice he said, my church. He did not say a synagogue. He did not say a church. He said, my church. Jesus is possessive and passionate about the church. There's a lot that is said about the church throughout the ages and the centuries, about all of the things that the church gets wrong, yet interwoven through all of that, Jesus has been building his church. Amen. Yes, has the church had mis made mistakes? Yes. But through it all, Jesus has been building his church. That's why over 2,000 years ago, the church still exists. The church does not exist because it's just a fad and it's popular and Jesus had nothing else to do. The church exists because Jesus passionately loves the church. He loves it. He died for the church. We, we have to be reminded of that. And he said, my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Consider that reality. That when Jesus built his church, Hell will not overpower it. Hell. Hell. Now, there's a connection here that is so important for us to understand. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
That word Hades is synonymous with hell. Hell will not overpower it. How in the world, Pastor Dwight, can he build a church that the gates of hell will not overpower it? He has to conquer hell and death to start a church. He cannot build a church that overpowers hell and death unless he overpowers hell and death himself. And we see later on here in three or four verses, it goes on, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And wherever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. My God, that is an audacious thing to consider. That Jesus hands over authority to human beings and gives them a power. Notice it does not say whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. And whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. We're going to talk about this next week. He says whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. How is that so? It's crazy. Have you ever been a part of deliverance ministry? Why in the world... Hey, does heaven respond to human beings because of that? Because somehow, in God's infinite wisdom, he actually wants so, such a connection to human beings that he gives them authority that whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Responding to human beings speaking? It's amazing. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, let's, let's, let's continue on, and I don't have these verses laid out. Let's go to 21, 22, and 23. It says this, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He could not show his disciples what was to come unless they first had that foundation. I need to, I, so this was, this was information that was yet to be, uh, yet for them to be informed about until he first knew that in his closest following group, that foundation that he is the, the Christ, the son of the living God was laid. And then he goes on, hey, by the way, since you, you've come there, you've come to this point, you understand this, let me tell you what the days ahead are, com- are, 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 are about to, to take place. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, notice once again, the tiny pebble messing stuff up because there must have been a little bit of confusion. He, he thought, I'm amazing. See, this is what human beings do. God reveals something sovereignly and then we take credit for it like we're awesome. Right. This is nothing new. We do this all the time. You ever have a prophetic word for someone that was so on point and you walk away like, I'm an amazing person. <laughs> I'm incredible. And then God's like, no, you're not. And I'm going to give you something that's so off. <laughs> that you share. And you're just like, that was totally God that first time around. Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> but the tiny pebble, somewhere along the line, because remember, it said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Whatever whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now Peter's like, I'm going to walk in that authority here. So it goes on to say in verse 21, 22, it says, Peter took him aside after Jesus says, I have to die. He takes him aside and he rebukes Jesus. And he says this, God forbid it. God bind it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Peter's just walking out the practice of this, but it is misapplied. 
Because Jesus can't build a church that the gates of hell will not overcome unless he first overcomes death, hell, and the grave. And Peter got in the way. He's like, hey, uh, let me practice this out. Jesus, you just said whatever I bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I bind you from dying on the cross and, and raising. Um, sorry. You got it wrong. And it goes on to say in verse 23 and 24, you are considered, you are only thinking about the interests of man. This is where the church, there's fractures in the church. There are churches that just because they have church on the signboard does not mean that it's Jesus' church. And the, the, what happens, what happens is that when man begins to get puffed up in their place of spiritual authority, in their place of prominence in the kingdom, that's when things go to stray. So I want to talk about Jesus building his church, the church that Jesus is building. Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you promise that you will build your church. Jesus, I pray as I speak to the church, Father, those that represent the church, I pray that we would stay true to that name. God, that we would not be our church, but Father, we would be your church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have you ever uh, built something? Anybody ever put something together or built something? Oh, like two of you? Okay. I thought that was like something that people did. Okay, let's stop. Has anyone ever been to Ikea? Okay, so you've built something or put something together. Here's the follow-up question to that. If you've ever built something or put something together, here's, here's the follow-up question. Are you someone that actually uses the instructions, or do you just figure it out? Okay, let's, stay, let's take a poll. If you use the instructions, raise your hand. Okay, I want everybody to look around. These are my friends. If you uh, just figure it out, raise your hand. Be confident about it. Okay, now I have a confession to make. I have, hold on, I have a confession to make. If you ever need me to help you put something together, I will be unavailable. Just, I, I won't have margin for it. Because I'm an instructions guy. I, I, love, in, I love instructions. I, I, I value instructions. I, I value that um, the creators of something actually give you a detailed set of how to put that thing together. That the designer of the thing says, hey, I want you to fully enjoy this thing. Follow my steps. Okay? Now, I appreciate that the fact of the, cre the creator of something also creates this detailed step-by-step -step set of instructions on how to build the thing that they created so that when you are building, listen, when you are building what they created, you will be guaranteed to build what the creator intended to be built. That's why instructions matter. That when someone creates something, you should probably follow the guidebook or the blueprint. Because your confidence should be in that, in the set of the instructions and details. 
I, I appreciate that fact. I love Legos. My son uh, Gideon has lots of Legos, and it's interesting because most of the Legos that Allison and I have bought for him have come with instructions. How many of you have purchased Legos for your kids? Okay, those books are like 400 pages long. <laughs> right? They make it as simple as possible for you to follow the step-by-step -step instructions. For example, uh, here is one of the uh, things that we got Gideon for either his Christmas or his birthday. It's the Mandalorian uh, ship. Anybody a Star Wars fan? Okay, yes, I love Mandalorian. So this is something I think we got for his birthday or for Christmas, and it's a thousand pieces. And uh, if it didn't come with instructions, that would be quite the project of just kind of figuring it out. But it comes with instructions. And the cool thing about Legos is they actually, they don't just put all of the pieces into one bag. They actually dissect and cut out. So you've got like incremental groups of Legos to work with so that you can create what the designer intended to be created. And so um, I remember one day uh, I came home and we got that for Gideon. I came home and Gideon was so excited. Dad, come see it. So I went upstairs and it was amazing. Sure enough, this picture looked exactly like the thing that Gideon had built. Why? Because he followed the instructions. You follow the instructions, you get what the creator designed. Right. Yeah. It's not that complicated. Right. Right. right? So, but here's the thing about Legos. Gideon is like all other kids. Um, if you go up into his room, you don't see this anymore. <laughs> you actually see this. This is now this. <laughs> and as an adult, that bothers me. <laughs> now, as a kid, it's amazing. I love that Legos, I love that Legos lend, lend a child the ability to exercise their imagination to the fullest and build whatever you create. So if I went up into Gideon's room and I said, hey, where's your Razor Crest Mandalorian ship? He's like, oh, it's over right here. That's a pirate ship. <laughs> but he used the pieces of the Mandalorian ship to create something that's amazing. But you know what's interesting? Um, the church is, a building a church is not like playing with Legos. We don't get to just build whatever we want. We actually, because there was a creator, there was a designer that has a blueprint and a template for what the church is supposed to be. And I wonder if Jesus looks upon, down on the church at large and it's like, he can pinpoint who followed his blueprints and who's just playing with Legos. Because just because the name church is on a sign doesn't mean they followed the instructions. See, we got to, listen, if that wasn't the truth, that sounds critical, but that's reality. Because if, if that wasn't true, then all of the New Testament would have never said there was false teachers. All of the New Testament would have never said, Paul would have never brought correction to any of the New Testament churches. Because the problem is not the foundation. 
The problem is when man starts to build something on the foundation that doesn't follow the blueprint. That's where the church starts to stray. We can't just build the church like we're building Legos. See, some of the pieces and parts are there, but Gideon has taken on with his imagination. He's molded it and built it to be something. But what we have to understand is that that's not how the church is supposed to be built. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, not your church. He will build his church. See, he only has to build what he said he'll build. So the church was never intended to be something that we build to be whatever we want it to be. And I think we should be able to agree that not every church that calls themselves a church has actually built the church that Jesus wants to be built and is building. Now the interesting thing about the church is that the word means called out ones. So the very nature of the church is that it is to be a remnant within the entity of all of humanity, and yet the revelation, and the further along you go on in the New Testament, there is a remnant within the remnant. Why is that? Because someone takes the foundation that was laid by Jesus Christ, starts to act like Peter, and starts to make the church whatever they think they want it to be. See, this message is not to condemn our congregation. My passion is that we stay true to the blueprint. That we stay true to what Jesus intended the church to be. See, at the core of who we are as a group of people, are we the type of church that Jesus is building and wants to build? Now, some of you may think like, I mean, we're talking about the church. What does this necessarily have to, uh, what does this have to do with me? Um, I think the New Testament actually says that the church is not a building, it's people. So the, the reality of that is that we all have a responsibility in what the church looks like. Peter calls, it, calls us living stones. Living stones. He, he's not, Jesus is not building buildings. Jesus is building people. And so the church, if the church becomes the church that he wants to be built, that requires the bricks to allow Jesus to build them. Right? It is the collection of us all committing ourselves to Jesus and allowing Jesus to build our lives so that together our group looks like the church that he intended. First Peter says this in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you also, as living stones, say living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable God, to God through Jesus Christ. Passion Translation says it this, this way. It's an invitation. Come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. See, listen, there is no church without the living stones that he is molding into his sanctuary. There is no church. That's the church that he wants. 
That's, how, that's why we need to be careful about how, and this is where, once again, going back to the original meaning of the church, church, we are to be called out ones. My concern lies on how relevant we are trying to be to culture. How relevant. There are churches that exist in an attempt to win people. Some lines get crossed. Some things get gray, some things get diluted, some things get blacked out in Scripture. These are things we're not going to talk about because we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, Are we called out or not? Regardless, at some point, all of us are going to have to conclude that the reason why we needed to be saved is because some of the things that we believed about life and how we're supposed to live it were wrong. So what are we doing? Are we just going to get people saved without giving them the whole scope of the gospel and then kind of incrementally put it in and hope that we have enough relational equity that they won't back out? Are we just going to say, hey, we're supposed to be called out because that's what God called us to be in John. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We can't have this gray area. We're called out. We're consecrated. We're chosen. If we're not careful, we can end up building a church that looks more like the culture around us than the kingdom within us. See, make no mistake about it. Scripture tells us that Jesus has personal feelings about what his church is looking like. And we see that in Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. So clear here. Okay, so Jesus, in this, this book, John... The one that Jesus loved is arrested on the island of Patmos, and he has this vision. All of Revelation is the vision that Jesus created or Jesus gave him. And it's interesting because the, the vision starts out, if you actually look at Revelation at that time, obviously it was not divided into chapters and verses. John was just trying to write down as fast as he could what God had revealed to him. And we see in chapter 2, that G- it, this is so interesting, fascinating to me. Jesus, the first thing that Jesus tells John, I've got seven letters for seven churches that I need you to deliver to them right now. Because they say they're my church, but there's some things that don't look like my church. Are you with me? Now, does not scripture say that judgment is supposed to begin in the household of God? I, I, I'm saying all this not because... I think there's a lot of things within our church to criticize. I'm just saying that, that we need to continue to preserve the purity of our heart about what the church is supposed to be so that we stay true to what Jesus intended Redeemer's church to be. Right. That we don't deviate at some point and say, you know what, I, we think, I think we need to sacrifice this because we'll never reach anybody if we hold on to this hardline truth that the scripture says. He says in Revelation chapter 2, this was written in 95 AD, almost 60 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Um, and, and, And it's so interesting because Jesus is telling John to write these things down because he's trusting John to send this letter to the church in Ephesus. That's where uh, it begins in Revelation chapter 2. He says this, he says, hey, Write this down and send this letter. You know what that tells me? That tells me over 60 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, he's sitting on the balcony, he's looking down at Ephesus, and he's like, that's definitely what my church is. But that right there, that's not. And I need them to know. 
I need them to know that that is not what I intended when I said I will build my church. If you keep on doing that, I'm not building, you're building. You're building a ministry, you're building a monument to yourself, but that's not what I intended for the church. And so he tells John, beginning with the church in Ephesus, he says this in, in verse uh, 2, he says, I know your deeds. Once again, it's praise. If you've ever had a meeting with a pastor that had something he needed to tell you that was corrective, he starts out with the praise, and then he comes with the correction. It's called the sandwich. <laughs> and this is scripturally where it's at. You got it from Jesus. Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. Oh, that sounds like people building on the foundation of Jesus, not what Jesus intended. And yet you found them to be false and you have perseverance, endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But verse 4, but yet I have this against you. What is that? That is, this doesn't look like my blueprint. You've left your first love. When you deviate from your first love, things start to get sketchy. See, he goes on to say this over and over and over again. Matter of fact, he does it three times in Scripture uh, in this chapter, starting with Ephesus and then the church in Pergamum, in verses 12 through 14, he gives them, hey, you're doing this great, you're doing this great, you're doing this great, but yet I have this against you. And then he goes on to Thyatira in verses uh, 19 through 20, you're doing this great, but then I have this against you. What does that tell us? This tells us that just because a church calls themselves a church does not mean there isn't a need for refining and reforming and refreshing so that the church continues to be what Jesus intended it to be. There's a blueprint laid out in Scripture for the type of church that Jesus wants to build and is building, and it's necessary from time to time that we revisit who that church is. And this is what this series is about. For the next two weeks, we are actually going to go into the book of Ephesians, ironically, and we're going to talk about all of the adjectives of who the church is supposed to be. It's laid out right there in Scripture because that's the blueprint. That's who we are supposed to be. See, um, if we're going to be a church that Jesus is building, then we need to value the revelation of Scripture more than being relevant to our culture. True. Listen to this quote. It has been said, it was unknown. It says this, When the church strays from biblical accuracy in doctrine, it enters into the dark ages. See, mo we must be careful how the church is being built. Paul talked about this and Jesus talked about this. First with Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds it. That's you and I. As being built by Jesus, there's a partnership that takes place where we are. Jesus wants to build us, but we need to be moldable. We need to be what God wants us to be. We've got to be careful how we're building ourselves or allowing ourselves to be built. And then it goes on uh, from here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It says, everyone who hears my teaching, this is how you build yourselves well. If you want to be the church that Jesus is blessing and building, then you need to commit yourselves to this. Everyone, and we sang about it in the song this morning. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
<laughs> that, that rock, that foundation. You know where faith and belief is different? Faith is the active effort of adhering to what God said. Belief is sitting back and, I'm, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really, in my life, in my lifestyle, I have not actually conformed to what Scripture is. I've not actually applied those things. But this is a person of faith. He said, whoever hears the words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. It says this, it goes on, but everyone who hears my church teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and, and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was swept away. The foundation for every church that calls itself Christian is the same, it is Christ. But where the church can deviate from Jesus' design is what is built upon that foundation. Let us be reminded this morning of one of the foundational reasons why the church and our church exists today. It exists for Jesus. For, for Jesus. Derek Prince says this. He says, one of the grandest themes of Scripture in, is the church. The object of God's affection, the future bride for his beloved son. God's intention is to provide for his son a perfect companion for all eternity. The church is also God's redemptive agent in the world. But his challenge <laughs> is the very people who comprise the church. He must get us in our unruly condition to become the perfect bride of his only son. Listen, the church is not just a building. It's not just gathering so that we have friends and fellowship and relationship. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. The church, the collective group of people, is to be the bride of Christ. He died to have a bride. And I'll never forget why this is so important to me, why this is, sits in the conviction of my heart and soul, is because probably about 15 years ago, a worship band named Leland wrote a song called Pure Bride, and it still rings in my heart to, the, to this day. The lyrics say that he's coming back for a pure bride. Listen, the whole point of this message is not only that we want to be a church that Jesus is building, but that we stay true to the purity of what God intended because he's not coming back for a crusty church. He's coming back for a pure bride because he did not endure what he died on the cross for so that he would come back to something that pales into comparison of what his father promised him on the other side. He's coming back for a pure bride. And some of the things that I hear... They vex my soul because they're compromises that allow impurity to exist within the church. When you look at Revelation, some of them I didn't go to, it said you tolerate the Nicolaitans. You know what that was? That was people coming into the church that were justifying acts of immorality. That is not my church. I'm not going to tolerate that. That's not what I said I would build. There needs to be a purification of our heart to return to the first love. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm not saying us. I'm just saying all the other churches. Yeah. 
We can be so selfish and self-centered. That was a joke. We can be so selfish and so self-centered about what we, what we make church about. And Jesus is like, you're my bride. Listen, and I, I don't like to talk about the church as a whole in a critical way, because if someone talked about Allison and just in a critical way, I'd be defensive. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking, I'm just saying, my God, there are things that are going on that just don't look like that pure bride that he died on the cross for. It goes on to say, listen to this in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself. To do what? To make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. How do we stay true to God's and design for us to be the bride that Jesus wants to be with for eternity? We stay true to his purification, washing us with the word of God. I, I, you look on YouTube. You can go on YouTube and you can say, Christian arguing against this issue and that issue and this, and they will pull scripture out to justify it without thinking anybody can do that. Anybody can do that about anything. It's about the scope of it. So we have to hold on to the word of God. If we don't hold on to the word of God as the sole source that navigates the truth of our life, we will stray. It says, to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. So the first thing that I just want to remind us of this morning is number one, <clears throat> the church that Jesus is building is the bride that he will and wants to spend eternity with. Number two, the church that Jesus is building is his redemptive agent in the world. He said, you are a chosen race in 1 Peter 2.9, one of my favorite verses. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What's the purpose of saying that you are God's own possession? So that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is where we close, and if I could have uh, the worship team come forward. When the church strays away from the blueprint, from the purpose of its existence, and is when what gets built no longer looks like the blueprint of what Jesus intended. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. What is the uh, risk of deviating from the blueprint? <laughs> he stops building. He stops building says, you're on your own. Have at it. Jesus promises that when he's the builder of the church, the gates will not overpower, overcome it. 
we sang a song that I want to sing again because this time I hope that it means more to you. But the last song that we sang was Build Your Church. And there are lyrics in this song that have resonated with me, which led me into, in part, why we're in this series. And it says this, it says, build your church. Build your church. And here's one of the lyrics that's so meaningful to me. It says, build it from the ground up. It's your church. Build it from the ground up. Corinthians says that the foundation, there's no other foundation that is laid except for that which is Jesus Christ. And what I desire, my heart for Redeemer's Church, is that Jesus continue to be the builder. That he doesn't be the foundation and then we just start to kind of make it wherever we want. We, we treat Redeemer's Church like, like the Lego set. God's, God's like, this is what I want. And then we take and we, we kind of pick out what principles and things we want to talk about and you know, things that are too, I don't know, culturally they're, they're not relevant or uh, they're, they're sticky issues or they're seeker sensitive or, you know, and we start to play Legos with what Jesus intended to be built. Because I think there was only one of those churches in Revelation that he said, you have stuck to everything that I asked you to do. I want to be that church. He said, build it, the church song says, build it from the ground up, it's your church. Build your church, build your church. Build it from the ground up, we're your church. Listen, Pastor Dwight and myself and Pastor Rick and Betty and Pastor Tammy and Allison, we are leading the church, but we cannot build Redeemer's Church without you. We are the church, we're not the church. We are the church. And that requires us to have a commitment to hold true to what God wants us to be built as living stones. And so this is what I want to do. I don't want to be a group of people, if you could stand with me. I don't want to be a group of people whose history is that we were founded upon Christ and over time have strayed and began to build our own thing. I want to be a part of a church that stays true to the blueprint of who the church is supposed to be. I want to be a part of a church that Jesus would say, that's my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So as we close this morning, I want to sing this song, but my, my challenge to you is, I just, I, if your heart is, I want to stay true and I want to be pure, to what God intends for us as the church. I want this song to be a prayer that you vocalize. You say, build, when you sing build your church, you're saying, Jesus, build me into the living stone that you want me to be so that I can represent well the church that you want to build. So will you join me as we sing and then I'll come back and, and close in prayer.